0: things i look for in guests sometimes is people that seem to have like really strong views or opinions on topics or or something that seems like they've thought a lot about something and have come to some conclusion Um, because i find that really interesting i think objective truths are hard to come by so i always want to talk to people like that and understand them better understand how they got to to where they got to Uh, my guest today michelle was someone that caught my attention right away when i saw her kind of bio description um because the tagline read i build high value men who get what they want Um, i coach men to achieve their goals by helping them gain greater self-awareness and i found myself wondering uh well firstly what what is a high value man Uh, how do you coach men to build self-awareness why is michelle focused only on coaching men and why is she so confident that she knows how to help them get what they want so naturally i had to reach out and see if i could learn more about her you know how she thinks what she values etc um, and I'm glad I did, because it was a really, really interesting conversation. Uh, Michelle stated that living into a purpose was her most important value. But interestingly, she started by by making clear that like she doesn't think there's one purpose for us. It's not fixed for our entire lives. And she covered that throughout the episode. She kind of gave her background and story and all different things she's done from working in the aerospace industry to her own contracting business, to starting her own blog, and now becoming an author and a, and a life coach doing all this as a single mom mostly to two boys after, after a tough divorce. Um, and it was interesting to hear as throughout all of that journey, how she built her own self-awareness and was able to figure out kind of what lit her up in life and realized that if you're unafraid to live into your purpose, that's kind of the key to being happy above all else. Um, so that alone was, was really interesting. We did spend a good amount of time also talking about parenting. Um, We talked about some hard questions that parents often don't like to get into or or be honest about. Like what's more important really? Is our purpose as individuals more important or are our kids more important? You know, what's the difference between being a selfish kind of bad parent and a parent who's living into their purpose to ultimately try and make life better for their kids? Um, and we didn't shy away from that. We kind of really tried to look into it and, and be self-aware and be honest with ourselves. Um, and of course, we got into the high value men piece of it, too. Um, and Michelle explained how kind of her experiences working in a lot of male dominated industries and trying to find love again after a divorce gave her some deep insights into men um, and kind of how they function or at least a certain type of man that that does lack that self-awareness and some issues they may be having and figuring out who they are and what they want, and what their purpose is. Um, and again, we, we dove right into that, trying to understand some of those insights. How accurate were they? How true were they? How was Michelle sure that what she was seeing was actually what was happening to get to the point of actually writing the book and starting to do her coaching? Um, so really, really interesting, really insightful conversation. Um, big thanks to Michelle for being on. And with that, let's get to the episode. All right, Michelle, thanks so much for being here. Really psyched to talk to you today. Uh, i like to dive right in. So I'll go right to that question of what's the value that's most important to you?
1: I think the most important value to me is purpose Mm. and living within purpose, um, acting on your purpose, being being honest in what your purpose is, um, just anything that has to do with just why you're here. Mm. So Mm. I feel like each of us is here for a reason. And each of us has a purpose. And I think that those purposes change over time. Um, I think sometimes, you know, when we're, when we're real young, we have one purpose. And then as we grow and evolve and change as humans, those purposes change. Mm -hmm. And at least that's been my story in my case, um, in my life. So for, you know, I, I almost look at life in segments and, uh, you know, in one, you know, I call it the the pre-kid segment of my life. Mm -hmm. I had one purpose and then, um, you know, the marriage when I was married, uh, you know, I served a purpose, I had a different purpose at that point. And then when I got divorced, I I had a different purpose. And now today I have another purpose. So um, I think purpose is my value. Mm.
0: I like that, because there's something very, like, practical and pragmatic about that of like, and I often say this, and in many ways, it's probably the reason I do the show, like, we're here, right? Like, we're alive, as far as we can tell. <laughs> So right. we got to do something. So we have to have something that kind of pushes us towards that, some purpose that we're kind of working towards. And I mm-hmm. think it's really interesting the way you explain it, because there's some people that would look at it and say, um, well, some people might say, we don't have a purpose. We're just here. It's meaningless. It's whatever it is. Some mm-hmm. people would say, though, like, no, 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 there's there's a singular purpose that we have. Maybe it was God-given or whatever it might be that we have for our lives. Interesting the way you're positioning it, which I think it makes a lot of sense that there's, there's multiple purposes. It evolves mm-hmm. over time. Mm-hmm. Um, how have you thought about identifying that purpose? Is that something that you feel like, um, is within you that you just kind of figure it out as you're moving through? Is it something that you get from the outside world in some way? Is it God given? Like, how do you think about where that purpose comes from and identifying what that one is for you at the moment?
1: I think it's a little bit of all of it. Mm. You know, um, I think there's a lot of us who are really tapped in, who really know, like from day one, like I, 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 compare, I talk about my brother a lot because, um, I have a twin brother and we're we could not be (laughs) further apart in Mm. who we are as people. Mm. He's a CPA. He's a CFO. He's very like by the book, straight and narrow, nine to five corporate guy, just very um, my parents' dream, right? Mm. And then there's me. And I'm, (laughs) you know, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm a free spirit and I I do what I feel, Mm. you know? Um, My brother is very in his head. I'm very in my heart. Um, so I think that a lot of us, like, I remember he knew like when we were in college, um, we both went to the university of Washington together and we both got business degrees, but he knew, um, when we were in college that he wanted to be an accountant. God bless people who want to be accountants. That's not, he got all those brains. I didn't get any of those brains. So, <clears throat> um, so anyway, he, uh, he knew from the very beginning, he's like, I want to be an accountant. I want to be a CPA. And I think at the time he probably didn't know he wanted to work in the industry he's in and all of that, but Mm. he had a, he had a direction and he felt that that was his purpose. And he's moved through his life as that, with that as his purpose. And he's done very, very well for himself. I, on the other hand, was like, I don't really know what I want to do. You know, in my, in my purpose. And so I'll just get a business degree because I know I can get a job. Mm. Uh, So what, who cares? And my purpose came to me later. Mm. You know, it, and and I and I think my purposes have shown up at different points in my life. But the difference between myself and my brother, for example, is I'm very receptive mm. to what's around me. So when I am inspired by something, I take note of it. I think a lot of people are inspired, but they don't act mm. by that on that inspiration. Guys,
0: question. And, just yeah. Yeah. What does that inspiration feel like? And, and a lot of people would be yeah, like, oh, I know what it means to feel inspired, but I'm curious for you individually, like when that moment strikes where you're like, this is inspiring me, I feel it. What is it? What does that feel like? What is it like? For you? I, like?
1: for me, um, I get very, like, I can't think of anything else. Hmm. So when I'm inspired by something and it's funny, cause I, I, I always put like, uh, I have a good friend who does this too. When we have an idea, we go out and buy the domain. Hmm. So we 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 start naming it, we start calling it something, we start um, you know, visualizing, conceptualizing. Like I I had an idea once for a business that I that I still have. And, and at the time I um, I was the name came to me. I bought the domain, I was, I, I called my friend who's a graphic designer and said, I need you to, to build, you know, design a logo for me. Mm-hmm. Like I have this idea, I have this concept, and, and you can't get rid of it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go away. And But I think a lot of people in their heads tell themselves, oh, it's now someone's already done it. I can't do it. I don't have it within me to figure that out. And then they let it go. Mm. And I read a book once somewhere and I can't remember who this was. I don't think it was Brene Brown, but it might've been someone like her. Mm. Um, But it was was this idea of of, um, ideas as butterflies. Mm. And when butterflies come by into your, into your world, you notice them. And sometimes it leaves an impression with you and you think about that butterfly and how beautiful it is and just the, the, how majestic they are or whatever. And then um, that butterfly continues on. Ideas are the same way. If, if an idea comes to you and you don't do something with it, it goes on to someone else. Mm-hmm. And so I've always kind of, I don't know when I read that, it must've been 15 years ago, mm-hmm. but every time I have an idea, that comes to mind. And I'm like, I better jump on this because it's going to go float to someone else. And I don't want someone else to have this. I want it to be mine. So that's,
0: that's kind of cool. how it feels for that's me. That's cool. Well, let me add two questions on that, but let me start with this one. What's, um? so in the spirit of the show, right? The value, what is it? And there's no, there's no judgment in this. I'm, I'm genuinely just curious that thought of like, if you miss that idea, if you miss mm-hmm. that inspiration, if you miss that purpose, what happens then? Like, what's the feeling? I know you miss it, obviously, and maybe somebody else gets it. But as you think about it in the grand scheme of your life as to why that's a bad thing, what is Mm -hmm. like the end of that thread as you work it through to be like, that's why I can't let that happen. That's why I need to know my Mm -hmm. purpose. I need to catch that inspiration and go with it.
1: Mm -hmm. I don't think that missing an idea is a bad thing. I think it just prolongs your happiness and your success. Mm -hmm. So I I feel like, you know, like I said, in my life, I've got about four different periods of my life that I would say I've had different purposes in. And, um, I think a lot of people, um, when they get an idea, if they don't act on it, eventually something else comes back in. I think the universe is constantly sending us signs, symbols, ideas. And if we don't latch on to one of those ideas, Right then, either that same idea will come back to us or something entirely new will come back to us and change our direction. And I always like to think of this as there's no such thing as rejection. It's just redirection. Mm. And so I think ideas are the same way. If you have an idea that inspires you, you don't act on it, you might regret it because probably someone else will come up with Mm -hmm. it. and You'll be like, oh, I had that idea. Why didn't Mm I? You know, that could have been me. But I think something is destined to always come back around.
0: Mm How much of it is, um, because you mentioned happiness, which I I talk about that a lot on this show. And it's it's surprisingly like a very polarizing topic where people have very different views about if we should aim for happiness, if we should not. I I think I personally land on happiness is okay. Like it's okay to be (laughs) happy. But mm-hmm. how much of it, when like you think about your ambition and that drive and that purpose, how much of it is just truly that, just happiness? I know I'm going to have a better life, better quality of life and happiness versus, and this is totally okay. This is me too. Like I want to achieve things. I want to get recognized. Mm-hmm. I want to feel like I'm accomplishing something and people to know that I'm talented or have some ability that I value, mm-hmm. I can bring to the world. Do those mm-hmm. go hand in hand? Are those different? Do they Are they both at play or maybe just one is?
1: I think they work together. Um, I think when you when you live within your purpose, you automatically become happy because life's easy at that point. You know, a lot of us who, um, you know, I've been in the corp, I was in the corporate world for a very long time. Um, it sucked the soul out of me every day. And I was not, you know, I had everything. I had the house, the kids, the husband, the car, the, you know, the income. I mean, it's the stability, the benefits. I mean, everything, I had everything and i think at some point we guilt ourselves for feeling so unhappy when we have all of those things and i kept saying to myself at the time you have everything why why can't you just accept it why can't you just be happy with what you have and it's because i wasn't living in my purpose <laughs> yeah. and so i think when you find your purpose and you believe in yourself and you believe in your purpose happiness is just a byproduct of that
0: yeah. Yeah. So I think, I don't know that I realized this before we started talking. I I, I looked into you a little bit, obviously listened to some other stuff you did. I think we're very similar in, in many ways. Um, I also, in the corporate world for a long time, still am a little bit actually, but have that same mm-hmm. sensation of like, and for a while I couldn't name it. I, I didn't know what it was. Sometimes you just mm-hmm. think like, oh, this is just life, but that soul sucking. I mean, that's it. It just drains mm-hmm. drains everything mm-hmm. out of you. Um, also that, that kind of the butterfly analogy is a beautiful one. Cause I've thought of that too, of just different ideas and inspirations and it not always being the same thing and kind of looking for different stuff. Um, so I feel like there's a lot of, there's a lot of similarities between us. How do you balance that though? Because I think for a lot of myself and for people listening, um, if you don't have your purpose, if you do feel that soul-sucking piece of it and that guilt does come in to say, you know, whether it be you have a family or just obligation, or you just want to live up to certain potential of which you think you should be, um, You don't want to go too far to one extreme, which says, I don't care about any of that. It's just about me and my purpose. Or maybe you do. I don't know. Maybe that's actually the right way to do it. But trying to balance that so you can be happy and not feel like your soul is being sucked out of you and you're living in your purpose, but you're still being considerate of those around you and the people that matter to you how have you found striking that balance? Um, cause I think that's the big hurdle for a lot of people is they feel like that's the, that's the thing. I can't do it because of my family. Or I can't do it because of my parents. Or yeah. I can't do it for some right. reason, you know? Right.
1: Yeah. And we've all been there. Um, you know, I was a single mom when my boys were two and four mm. and they're eight and 10 now. And, um, at that point in my life, I decided to leave my corporate job. I had been there for 10 years. I worked in aerospace mm. and, um, and I just, I it, I had reached my breaking point. And at some point when you get to that point, you just have to jump. There is no other way. This, you know, living in your purpose and, and following your path is not for the faint of heart. And I think that um, the steps that I've gone through in my life to to take the risk and the things I've experienced along the way and on this path have made me realize that I'm always supported in whatever it is that I want to do, as long as I put in the effort. Mm. And I think that a lot of people um, are afraid because they're unaware of their power Mm. and they're unaware of who they are. Mm. So it's one thing for all of us to sit here and say, oh yeah, my job sucks. Like, I mean, how many times do you hear people just whine and complain about jobs, right? Oh, my job. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. But what are you doing about it? And why do you hate it? So like, it's important to look into these. And this is what I work with um, people now on self-awareness. Self-awareness is so crucial to understanding your purpose, where you want to go in life, why you want to go there. Why do I want to be in a, Why am I an entrepreneur? Why is that important to me? What is, why did I hate my job so much? <laughs> you know, like, what was it about that job? And as I start to unpack things about myself and who I am as a person, it all makes sense. Mm. You know, it all starts to make sense. So, so I think it's hard. The hardest thing for, for most people is just jumping, just taking the risk and and saying, I'm going to do something for me and I'm going to put me first. And really it is a big part of putting yourself first. And Mm. that's really hard, especially for those of us with children, Mm -hmm. um, with spouses who don't support us, who don't believe in us, who don't understand our drive or determination or where we want to go. Um, and we really have to just step up and be our own cheerleaders in that moment and realize like, no one's here to take care of me, but me, Mm. and I'm going to have to make these choices and I'm going to have to accept the risk. And if I go into debt, if I, um, don't succeed, if I give myself a good solid year and I'm still not, you know, where I want to be, then at that point, um, you know, let's reassess, right? Mm -hmm. Like we, we, it, my mom always says nothing stays the same forever Mm -hmm. (laughs) and Mm -hmm. she's right. Right. So like what feeds your decision to quit your corporate job today may not be the same thing it is in a year, but the path that you're going to walk in that journey is going to get you, it's going to bring you new insight. It's Mm going to teach you about yourself, which is crucial in, um, making any changes to your
0: life. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love the self-awareness piece because I think that's so true. I think having clarity on who we really are and, and that why, like really following that thread on that why, like, why do I hate my job? You know, what exactly is it about it? And okay, it's because I, you know, don't have enough time in the day to do other stuff. Okay, why don't I have, you know, really following that. Um, let me ask a, a provocative question, but I think an important one, and I'm, I'm I'm thinking through it too, and we'll kind of follow the thread on it. Um, so putting yourself first, right? We talked about having kids. I have a son who's nine years old, right? In between year mm-hmm. two. Um uh-huh. So let me ask it bluntly, and then we'll see where it goes. Should I let's use me as the example? Should I view myself as more important than my son? And, and I ask that. I know some people will be triggered right away by that and think like, no, your kid always comes first. And some people might go mm-hmm. the other way and say, of course, you always mm-hmm. have to put yourself first. And then you take care of your son. I get that mm-hmm. nice sounding answer. But sometimes there's real decisions to be made. Like you said, right? You're looking to quit mm-hmm. your job when you have a two-year-old and a four-year-old. And Mm -hmm. there's some part in your mind or maybe some people voices outside of you that are like, you're hurting your kids by doing that you're putting your kids at risk like how how dare you, right and put that aside because who cares what other people say necessarily but there is a decision point sometimes we have to say, I need to do this for me, even if Mm -hmm. maybe it's not the best decision for my kids, or maybe it puts them in some greater risk than it would have otherwise. Mm -hmm. How should Mm -hmm. we think about that are we more important than our kids at the end of the day is it important that we do right by us beyond anything else and then our kids come very, very close second. Or how do you think about that? Should our kids always come first, no matter what?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, No, kids should never come first. Mm. And here's why. I, um, you know, I can tell you my own personal story with my divorce, for example. So my divorce was um, something I really, really struggled with. My ex-husband um, is Filipino, Filipinos do not get divorced. Mm. It is not something that culture does. <laughs> and so it was a big struggle um, trying to figure out like, is this the right move? Because um, in our situation, it uh, it wasn't as bad as most divorces warrant, if that makes sense. Mm. It's not like he was abusing me. It's not like, you know, it, it wasn't awful, right? but I knew it wasn't right. And I remember seeing a spiritual counselor about this because I was same like you, like my poor kids, like culturally, you know, my ex-husband, of course, culturally was like, we're not getting divorced. I don't want to get divorced. This is not okay. The kids are going to get ruined. It's going to ruin their lives and blah, 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 blah. And I remember just struggling with that so heavily and being so concerned that this decision that I was now this is my decision. No, it's on right? you. Yeah. It was on me. And I was so afraid that I was gonna screw up my kids. Mm. The kids are gonna be ruined, they're just toddlers, they're you know, they're you know, whatever. <clears throat> All of the things like they're gonna grow up with a single mom, and I never wanted that for my kids and mm. yada yada. But I I went to meet one of my friends who's a spiritual uh, counselor, and she said to me. Your sons will hurt with you. Mm-hmm. If you are hurting, they will hurt with you. If you stay in this marriage and you hurt, they will hurt. So, doing what's best for you is always what's best for your kids, regardless of what that decision is. It's never about choosing myself over them, it's about choosing myself and bringing them along for the ride because they're going to be better off. Mm-hmm.
0: So I, I, I believe that I, I agree with that. I do. And I think, I think there's a lot of people that would, but let's unpack it a little bit because then what would, what would be the example of a bad parent? Like what, what, cause you can imagine whatever from TV shows, movies, whatever you want to see there. We have examples mm-hmm. in our head of like, Oh, that's a bad parent. Right. Maybe they abandon mm-hmm. their kids. Maybe mm-hmm. they just literally <clears throat> don't show them any love or care about them at all. If it works for them and they feel like, but that's what I, that's what makes me happier to, to leave my kids and go do this. Like, is there anything that actually makes a bad parent? Then, because how do you how do you find that sweet spot? Like, what is the line for where you're not? Is it is it possible to hurt them? Is there anything we could do that would mm-hmm. hurt them? It would seem like yes, right? Obviously, if you abuse <laughs> them or do something like that. Um, so, like, how do you reconcile that part of it? And again, I'm asking this. <laughs> I'm glad I'm getting to ask you the questions because these are these aren't fun questions. But um, it's something I think about a lot. Of how do we think about our responsibility to our kids versus ourselves? And if we agree that there is something we could do that could harm them. Where is that line and and how do we identify it?
1: Yeah. And that's really, that's really tough because there are, there are certainly bad parents out there. Um, you know, people, parents who neglect their children, abandon their children. Um, you know, I, I believe that if you are operating from a place of heart centeredness Mm -hmm. and the best, like your highest and best good that you cannot hurt your children, I do believe though that some instances, like I know that there are some, like, in fact, I've known people, um, who have had parents who have gone off the deep end and left. And, and quite frankly, as difficult as that is for a child, it was probably the best thing for them in the, at the end of the day. Right. And I know that, and this is where the self-awareness piece comes in, right? Because we, we, we know that we experience, but that is extremely traumatic for a child. Like I've, I've worked with somebody who this has happened to where his mom left him and they don't speak today and he's 43 years old. Um, but he, she kind of like quit taking care of him when he was about eight or nine. He has a significant mother wound. That is, that is so difficult and so traumatic for a child. And what happens is over time, it affects you. It affects you as an adult, well into your adulthood, but it takes you as the adult coming back and healing that in order to let it go. And it, I think eventually you learn that, that w- I'm actually really glad that that happened because she was using drugs. She was, whatever she was doing, living on the streets, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that in the moment, things can be, can feel very difficult and can be Traumatic to children. And, um, I, but I also believe at the end of the day, if that child or that person as an adult takes the action to work on themselves, they'll heal from it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, yes, I think parents can hurt their children by being selfish, selfish,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and take it, and, and I say that in quotes because, um, because not every decision that you make to better yourself is a selfish decision. If that makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. I left my marriage and started my company to make a better life for me and my kids. My kids didn't even know I worked Mm full-time when they were little because I had my own company and I worked when I worked and I was at the bus every day Mm -hmm. and I was on vacation with them and summer, they didn't notice. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, as even though it was a a choice I made for myself to make my life better, it benefited them too. Mm -hmm. So I always like to say, we, you know, no child is without trauma. Mm -hmm. No child is without some sort of disappointment or let down from their childhood. We all have baggage. The goal as parents is to only give our kids as much baggage as they can carry in their backpack,
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Like
1: Like we don't want to overload. We don't want them carrying a mountain like not a hiking backpack. either. I'm talking (laughs) like a school bag. Right. So we can't avoid, you know, like my divorce may someday, my kids were so young. Right. But I, my son, my eight-year-old says to me, why are, why can't you just be married to daddy? Mm. You know? And so I know that it hurts him. Right. But I know that it was the right move for me, which makes it the right move for him. Mm -hmm. And if that's a little piece of baggage that he carries in his backpack with him into adulthood, Hopefully he'll come around and heal that part of it.
0: Yeah. And to your point, if it wasn't that baggage, he would have something else in his back. It would be something else. It would always be something.
1: It would be me and his dad arguing. Exactly. Or, or it would be his dad cheating on me. Yeah. Or it would, you know what I mean? Yep. So there would be, there would always, there's always something. And so what's the minimal amount of baggage you can put in your kid's backpack
0: mm-hmm.
1: that just, just enough for them to handle just yeah. enough for them to carry with them.
0: Yeah. And I love it. You, you hit it again. And I think it's such an important phrase and I know it's important to mm-hmm. you and your work. Self-awareness is so important mm-hmm. that because mm-hmm. I, I often say it is like, um, sometimes when you're self-aware and you really dig deep and you find those honest truths, sometimes they're inconvenient truths. Like sometimes it might be that you're that parent that like, I can't get this drug addiction under control and I need to leave my kids. And I'm just not strong enough to overcome this and take care of my kids. And I need to do that. Or somebody Mm -hmm. might realize something else. And Mm -hmm. I think that's what often makes it difficult for people is they're afraid of self-awareness because they're afraid of what they might find if they really dig deep enough to find it. And, and Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's a real concern because I think the way I'm by no means like a neuroscientist, psychologist or anything like that, but, but I think we all kind of intuitively know enough that our minds are trying to protect us often from those types of things. They don't want us to open those doors of things that might make us feel bad about ourselves. So achieving that self-awareness can be really, really hard. How do you Mm -hmm. think about that? Maybe for your clients, maybe for yourself, whatever Mm -hmm. it might be, like, how do you Mm -hmm. overcome that natural inclination of the mind to try and stop Mm -hmm. us from being self-aware? Oh, the mind. Oh, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm
1: the mind's job is to keep us safe. The mind loves story. It loves repetition. It loves what it knows. It loves the same thing day in and day out. It loves the same right narrative, the same story. That's what keeps the mind happy and challenging the mind. And that's where learning about yourself and understanding where you came from and the things that have affected you. That's where all of that comes in. That self-awareness comes in and you can say to your, to your mind, like, no, no, that's not, that's not what really happened. That's not what really happened here. And so giving giving yourself some, um, some grace to just kind of distinguish the two, Mm -hmm. I think is what's really important because people don't necessarily no and especially um god bless him my partner brian um he is is very heady very 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 heady my brother very heady um and it it is so hard to um break down to take down the headiness yeah. and to start listening to what's inside because there is so people carry so much pain so much pain so much fear And they are afraid. They are afraid to dive into it. And I don't blame them. It's not easy. This work is not easy. And I say that to my clients all the time. Like, you better be in this because this is not, I'm not here to like stroke your ego and tell you everything's going to be okay. We're going to get into some tough shit and you're going to have to play. Like you got to play this game. And um, it's really difficult, but the mind is, is um, it's very dangerous to constantly and consistently listen to your, the voice in your mind at some point, you've got to break down. Um, and I, I always, I kind of liken it to the difference between thinking and feeling. So I am a big feeler, big, big, big feeler. I rarely, uh, like use logic, (laughs) like in my decision-making, if it feels right, I do it. And some people will call that impulsive. And maybe I am a little impulsive. Um, but if I feel it, I've learned to like, trust my, my sense of feeling more than the logical, because my brain will always say, no, 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 no. It's too expensive. You don't want to invest in that. No, no, no. It's too, that's too scary. We're scared of that. We don't want to know that's going to put you at risk. We we can't have that. And so the mind is very dangerous (laughs) and very, very powerful. So it's, if you can work to uncover who you are, gain more self-awareness, understand why you are the way you are. It will allow you to open the door to feeling and it will give you a little bit more balance.
0: Yeah. Is it is it fair to say that, so if I play back what you just said, I think it's that the mind is hard to trust because it's going <laughs> to say no. And the feeling yep. is like, sure, maybe sometimes it's right to say no at certain things. Maybe the mind will mm-hmm. get it right sometimes. But if I look at the numbers overall, it's going to get it wrong way more than it gets it right. Mm-hmm. Feeling... Feeling isn't perfect. It's not that you're always going to get it right based on right. feeling, but you believe like the odds are better. If I go with yeah. my feeling, it's a much better chance and, and not to, there's no, again, no judgment here, but a, a divorce is an example. I'm sure at some point you felt like this is the man I want to spend the rest of my life with. There was a yep. feeling that told you that and it didn't end up panning out and that's right. okay. You can recover right. from that and move on because i think a lot of times people make it like very binary like oh oh you have to go with your feelings because you can always trust your feelings no you can okay. never trust anything implicitly no. it's just trying right. to understand what's more likely to get me to the better outcome right yeah. right
1: yeah yeah and i think you know i i think it's when you live fully in one or the other it becomes dangerous and so it's not that like i live in my feelings all the time i i i do have interestingly i took a a brain uh, like a right brain left brain test once and I'm very divided like mm-hmm. in down the middle most people are usually one heavy on one and light on the other but I'm very split brained which is interesting um, so I do have a logical side to me and I do process things but I weigh them so like if the if the weight of the brain of the mind feels heavier i notice that right like i take that into account it's not like i just go into everything i feel like doing if i did that i god knows where i'd be in hawaii right now you know what i mean (laughs) but um but i definitely have learned to differentiate the two and understand like where i'm most likely to have a better outcome
0: yeah yeah I want to I run with the thread for a second. I know you said it somewhat as a throwaway line, but but I think about this and I'm curious, maybe it'll go nowhere, but you just mm-hmm. said like, I'd be in Hawaii right now. Is there something to that? Like, and, and let's look, think about this for both of us. Like if we did just trust our feelings all the time, if we, yeah. and again, not in like shooting up heroin every day and just being like, that feels great, but being like, hey, this feels like what I want to do. Is that necessarily a bad thing? Like, Would you be worse off if you were in Hawaii right now? Like, how do you think about that?
1: I think if practicality wasn't a thing, I don't think that doing what you want to do would ever be bad. <laughs> but say
0: the, the more process, about that when you say that practicality.
1: I mean, well, like money, for example. Okay. So, you know, and we have kids, right? So, um, so like, can I, can I actually just pick up my life, spend $10,000 on a trip to Hawaii and bring my kids out of school and upset their lives and like, just transplant and you know if I didn't have others in my life I think if you're a single person who doesn't have really any roots or responsibilities yeah go for it you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. but I think for those of us that do have those responsibilities we have to we have to counterbalance, right like we gotta yeah. pick and choose and make the right time and put in the right resources and, yeah. and make it tough. you know
0: that's tough yeah to the conversation we have having earlier because balancing that and reconciling that with what we said before of like where it's okay to put yourself first, right? Like mm-hmm. somebody could hear yep. what we're saying now and be like, oh, I thought it's okay to just go Hawaii and do that. And, and this is the nuance. This is what makes it so tough. This is what right. makes it so hard for people. And I, and I think you're right. And, and it's funny, I, I say this as, as a father, uh, I have a wife, I love my family completely. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can understand now much better why some people choose to be single. And they don't want to get married and they don't want to have Absolutely. kids. Absolutely, um, yep. There's a lot of positives in that that I can still see. Now, I personally believe it's net positive to where I am with my family and what it is. But yep. I wouldn't judge I would have judged somebody much more 10 years ago to be like oh you don't you don't want to have kids like what's wrong with you that's selfish whereas right. now be like I get it to be able to pick up the <sighs> Minnesota Hawaii there's a lot yep. of appeal to that
1: <laughs> I get it I get it yep absolutely especially these days you know the world's kind of a disappointing place lately you know and yeah. um I don't know that I'd want to raise a family today so I certainly don't I don't judge people if that's their choice. I have my best girlfriends. I have two best girlfriends and neither one of them has kids and neither one of them is married. And
0: I'm like, good job. And I think that's part of that self-awareness, like that inconvenient truth. And this is where like somebody might be afraid, you're a mom, I'm a dad to admit that and be like, I can't say that. I can't say that on a podcast that like, Mm -hmm. I totally get it. But that's part of that awareness that I think is important to be able to own that and say like, yeah, I do get that. There are parts of it that some days I'm like, fuck, that would be awesome to just go do that. But I'm right. honest with myself about that, and then I know right. when I actually am spending time with my son and it's amazing and I love him that that's real. That's not me just right. playing on a show because I think I have to. I think that's right. a little bit of that illustration of that self awareness.
1: Right. Totally. Yeah. 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 It's it's an interesting um, it's an interesting realization when you when you can come can, because I think there's a lot of that, right? I think <clears throat> and especially I'm sorry I'm getting over COVID, so I'm still no, a little kind of nasal. So my apologies. I'm not I'm trying not to hack into the phone here, but <laughs> you're all good. Um you know, what we've kind of seen with um, with what's happening in the world and especially with like social media and it's life is just nothing but a comparison game these days, right? All we do is scroll our phones and look at other people's lives. And I'm sure the women who are single and aren't married and don't have children, look at the women who are, and just want that so bad for themselves. And then there's me who I'm looking at the single women with <laughs> with nothing no worries and they're in Bali or like you know costa rica or whatever and i'm like oh man you know what i mean so it's kind of like this it's this problem this comparison game which is so detrimental and it really detaches you from who you are and what you want in life because you're too busy like oh they have everything i have nothing this is my life that's their life i wish i had their life so it really social media it's a necessary evil, I understand, but it is so dangerous for all of us as humans, mm. um especially those of us who are trying to find ourselves and understand like what our purpose is mm. and where we are in life and why we're here because we can't help the mind, right? The mind and the narratives of the people on the screens. the what you're what those stories, tell your mind, well, you should be doing that. You're 30 years old. You should be married. You should have kids. You should, you know, you should have, you should be a millionaire, you know? So it's very, it's very difficult.
0: And it's worse because in many ways, again, necessary evil is probably the right phrase, but a lot of those things are designed to exploit those aspects of the mind to actually tap Mm -hmm. into those things we're saying about the mind of where it can break bad and go wrong. And they're like, yeah, we're designed to actually elicit that from you. And it makes it all the much harder and worse to get through it. And as you said, if you're trying to find your true purpose in life, that's probably one of the worst ways to do it, to just scroll through on Absolutely. There and try and see what the comparison is, you know,
1: the worst, yeah. the worst.
0: <laughs> how did you so where you're at now, right? This, this season mm-hmm. of your life, this point that you're in, um, how did you come to that purpose? How did that come to you? Where, where are you at in the process of it? Do you feel like, yeah, that inspiration you're feeling, you're feeling all that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, I don't know how how I can like explain this without explaining my entire life, but <laughs> I'll try to keep it short. It's a fair you know, point, though. I, yeah, I mean, it's just because it's been such a journey, right? Yeah. Like it's it is such a. It's not like I woke up one day and was like, I want to work with men and I want to help them increase their self awareness. Mm-hmm. That's not that was not ever a thing for me until a couple of years ago. So I would say that. um, you know, for me, what, where I started in life, like I said, I went to college, I got a business degree, got an MBA, uh, worked in aerospace for 10 years. Um, I was a project manager. I had really great opportunity with the company. Um, I traveled to South Carolina, lived there for 16 months um, on assignment, met some amazing people, worked primarily with men, of course, very, uh, it's a very, uh, Weighted um, man, heavy <laughs> industry. Yeah. Lots of engineers. Um, I used to say I babysit engineers for a living. <laughs>
2: um,
1: so, so that was my my career for a while. And then um, when I quit that, <clears throat> I got into real estate, and I sold houses. And I'm still actually a realtor. Um, I do not uh, promote my business though. I only do it by referral. Mm. So, um, and that's just something I. Real estate's kind of a rat race. Um, in terms of getting clients, like people think it's really easy money, and it is easy money for the most part, um, but it is hard to get business. And like everyone, you know, you know, you probably know half a dozen realtors in your circle, right? Who do you choose, right? And so that's it's a really tough. And so for my sensitive ego, that was really hard for me to to not have like one of my best friends choose me uh, to sell her homes for her or buy homes for her because her husband knew someone else was devastating. Right. So I kind of removed myself. Right. Right. I'm like, I'm not going to like, I'm not like, can I sell a house? Yes, I can. Can I stage it? Yes, I can. Can I market it? Yeah, absolutely. But I can't take the rejection of being picked over by someone else. And I knew that about myself. Right. So anyway, I got into real estate realized after about nine months, I'm like, this just isn't feeling, it's not feeling right. It's not like, this is more than I thought it would be. I don't like the people that I was working with. Like it was bad. So um, at the time my my ex-husband had, well, we were married at the time, but he had kind of said to me, well, if you don't start making more money, you're going to have to go back to aerospace, like mm-hmm. go back to this corporate job that you hate. And that was pretty much the dividing. That was a moment. And I was like, this marriage isn't working for me. So anyway, um, <clears throat> we separated. And I ended up going to work part-time for a general contractor. Mm -hmm. And I was doing manual labor for a contractor. He was working on my godmother's house. And I remember um, him just saying, you know, I I need some help. Just come and like, I'm like, well, I don't, I know a little bit, but not a lot. And so if you can just like, you know, teach me, just tell me what to do and I'll figure it out. Right. And so he's like, Hey, showing up is half is, is like the whole thing. Right. It's like if you, as long as you show up, you're ahead of 90% of people <laughs> I talk to. Right. So I started working for him. Um, and I started to realize, and I was like blocking walls, scraping glue off of joists, you know, um, ordering material, like just random stuff. Right. And I remember thinking to myself, boy, there are a lot of guys out here who you know contractors out here who are really good at what they do but they can't run their business Mm. they can't do it all like you're either a really good carpenter but you can't keep up on your invoicing you can't get out to job sites you can't review what's going on you can't field your customer complaints you're behind so there i saw this like opportunity and um to run a construction business because i was a project manager and a project's a project's a project right they're all the same it doesn't matter what it is it doesn't matter if it's a software development if it's an airplane mm-hmm. development program if it's a remodel job right they all have a start and a finish they all have milestones they all have budgets and schedules and whatever so i thought to myself <laughs> knowing nothing literally nothing about construction other than being fairly handy um, i'm going to start my own general contracting company and i did so i got separated from my husband, started my own company. And I did that for five years managing residential remodels.
2: And that was my, as
1: a single mom, as a single mom, um, I didn't start my company until we were separated. In fact. So like my ex-husband had nothing to do with any of it. So I was alone and I, but I, but I knew I had this purpose, right? Like I, I'm like, all right, I'm a woman, first of all, huge plus in construction. Why? Because most of the decision makers are women. Mm-hmm. And most of the women in uh, that are making these decisions are intimidated by the men that run their own companies, right? It's hard sometimes for women to voice their opinions and talk about their concerns with a guy who very much is dismissive, to say the least, right? Like, oh, that's just how this, this, how this process yeah, works. Just don't it. worry you about don't it. Yeah. Don't worry about it. You don't need to know. But I would get women who would call me and they'd be like, I'm really, I'm really concerned about this. And, and, you know, did I pick the right tile? And what grout should I pick? And like most men, male contractors will say, you decide, I don't tell you anything. I just do what you tell me to do because I don't want to be liable for my advice to you. Right. But I'm like, I'll give you my opinion. Of course, <laughs> you know? So anyway. I, I ran um, my own construction company for five years and, uh, and did residential remodels. I closed that down when COVID hit and I was kind of forced to, because I didn't know, I live in Washington state um, and they had shut construction down for a period of time. And as a single mom, um, as a business owner, I didn't know where that was going to go. And I said, I got to get out. I, I need to go back to work. So I went to work for a custom home builder and did that for another year and a half. And uh, throughout all of this time, I was single. So I didn't meet my partner until about two, almost two years ago. So I was single for a good, I don't know, six, five, six years. So the whole time I was in construction and real estate and, and all of that, I was dating as well. And I kept meeting men who just i didn't know what it was at the time but i, ke- I kept meeting men who would say one thing and do another mm. or they would um uh, uh, they they would act interested and then disappear or they would you know what i mean like just yeah. not like nothing was making sense to me and over the course of six years i met quite a few people um i i had one serious relationship in six years, it lasted about nine months, all the rest, I didn't date anyone for longer than three months. And it was, and it was just like this revolving door of like, okay, like, oh, this guy seems so great. And then the door slams in my face, disappointment, you know, and it was one right after the other. And so about five years into being single and dating, I realized there's something wrong here like there's something wrong with men. I'm not sure what it is, but in my experience, something's not right. And so um, having worked in aerospace and babysitting engineers and working with men, I used to count in my elevator, uh, every elevator that I would get into, I used to count how many men would get into the elevator with me. Not because they wanted to get in with me, just because that's just how many people there were. It was usually eight to one, eight or nine to one in meetings. Same thing, two women, 12 men. Like it was a very, man heavy uh industry of course construction same way okay, was I taken advantage of by the guys who worked for me yeah I was was uh, were things said to me that should never have been said to me yes were there <laughs> things that um you know shouldn't have happened that happened yes um you know there was a lot of a, a lot of experience wrapped up in those careers and uh anyway uh as I um was starting to realize something's wrong here. Like I'm reflecting on all this professional experience. I'm reflecting on all of these instances of, um, of of things that have happened to me over the years, just being a woman, being a blonde woman, especially, um, the comments, blonde jokes, like not funny, um, you know, stuff like that. So, Mm -hmm. and I started to realize something's missing with men. Something is, something is off. And so I started to think a lot about it. And I actually, um, over the years, since 2016, I've had a blog um, that I've written and I've written about all of my dating woes and like just different things, whatever pisses me off, I write about, (laughs) like it just, that's my release that. And I know that about myself, right. That's Mm -hmm. how I cope. I write. And so, um, so anyway, I, I realized, you know, what it is, is these guys just don't even know who they are. They don't even know who they, they don't know who they are. They don't know why they're here. They don't know what they're saying or what they're doing and how they don't align. They don't know what they don't know. And they don't know that they need help and they don't know that this is hurting them. Right. And so a couple of years ago, I started my coaching business and I call it man up. Uh, I'm the man up coach, which men hate. They freaking hate <laughs> that because what's woman going to tell me about man uh-huh. up? Well, I don't necessarily mean like man up, although I do tend to say things like pick up your balls. It's time to get to work. Like you need to, you know, toughen up here, but I don't mean it that way. I mean it like man up, like, let's move up. Let's yeah. ascend. Let's go in the right direction. Like let's, and so it's kind of a play on words, but it, it, I think it grabs the attention of, of the man who needs it the most, because yeah. I think the man who needs it the most is insulted
0: by that. Probably most triggered by it. Yeah.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's always something I say to like your triggers, pay attention to those because those are telling you a lot of things. So,
2: yeah.
1: yeah. So anyway, long, very, very long story short, and I'm sorry. Um, It's I came to realize through my my work history, my romantic relationships, my dating experience general. uh, And I have another business in there that I could that has to do with uh, relationships as well um that fed into all of this but i just realized that there's there's something amiss mm. and i think that men are highly underserved in the self-help space i think that they don't like i said they don't know what they don't know so they don't know that perhaps they could be doing better they don't know that there's could be something wrong um and i don't want to say wrong cuz it's not like something's wrong with you but like if you're not addressing your traumas your triggers mm. your past Um, that shit lives with you, you know, for a long time. And it's hard to get rid of if you don't, I mean, well, you never get rid of it unless you recognize it and you acknowledge it and you invite it back into your life and you integrate it back into your life. Mm. So that's kind of how I got here.
0: That's awesome. No, it's it's a really interesting story. and I'm glad you went the whole way through it. Um, So I feel compelled to caveat this next question with two points because it's important. Um, One is the spirit of this show and, and what I like to do and I've kind of made my promise to this is like, just ask the logical questions, right? Because I think it's important to get to the true points and to understand them. Like maybe man up is the right phrase. Just man up and ask the question, right? Be honest. The second point I want to make is that I, as a man, I can totally agree and resonate with what you're saying. I I know plenty of men. I know myself to an extent, particularly when you're talking about like the the treatment and it's dismissiveness and treated in the workplace. So all of that obviously is true without a doubt. Mm -hmm. But the question I'm going to ask after those long caveats is there's some people that would look at that and say, how did you know it wasn't you? Right? Had you know it wasn't mm-hmm. you that was the issue when you're having those mm-hmm. dates and you're doing those things, and I have no mm-hmm. reason to believe that's the case, obviously. But mm-hmm. logically, it's just a fair question to ask, and I think it's a good illustration of self awareness too, of like how, how you kind of work through that. Um, how did you know there wasn't any part? Like, had you know it was the the men issue? Um, and there's lots of evidence for that, obviously. But how did you work through that to have confidence to be like, you know what? I, I see this, and I see the problem is there. And it's not to say mm-hmm. you think you're perfect by any means, obviously. But how did you work through that for you?
1: Well, it's so interesting, um, and I love this question because it was me. Mm. So it was me, it was me and it was them. It was me because I was in a point in my life where I was attracting that. Mm. I was attracting that kind of man. Now I could go on. I have a history of codependency. Mm. Um, I'm a very nurturing, loving, I'm a mom. Like I like to take care of people. I need men who need me. Mm. And that was a realization that came to me about three years ago. And I had no idea. I had no idea that I needed men who needed me. And the reason I needed men who needed me was because when I'm needed, I feel validated as my own self-awareness, right? This is my own self-awareness coming in. So it took me, you know, five years of being single to realize I'm codependent. I need people who need me because I, that's how I feel validated. Mm -hmm. And so it was me to an extent. I was drawing in the man who needed me. I was drawing in the man who valued those things about me. So like, you know, even when I was married and I can, and this goes way back, right? Like when I was married, I did everything, everything, the laundry, the cooking, the cleaning, the kids, We had a rental property. I managed, I worked full-time. I had a side business as a makeup artist. I did hair and makeup for weddings. Mm -hmm. That was my purpose back when I was married. I was working with women back then. Um, I had all of these things that I, you know, I, I did all the, the, the preschools and the, you know, the everything I did everything because I thought that that's how I just would earn and deserve love.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And so in part of my my own self-awareness journey was recognizing that I didn't do any of that because I wanted to. I did that because I thought that that's the only way he would love me. And I think that that's what happened to me in my dating life too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, sure. I'll go. I'll, I'll work for you. You know, I dated a guy who was an entrepreneur. Yeah, I'll work for you. I was like his secretary, right? Um, yeah. You need me. Okay. I'll do that. Oh, you're not going to pay me that's okay. You need me. I'll help you, mm-hmm. you know? So stuff like that, or, 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 oh, you, you can't um, come over to my house. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll drive for an hour and come to see mm-hmm. you. Yeah. I'll come spend the weekend. That's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll shove the kids off on my in-laws. It's fine. I'll, um I'll come see you. It's fine. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like anything like that, always sacrificing, always giving. Um, but I did it because I, I thought that that's the only way they would love me. And I know better now. Thank God. Thank God that, that came, I came to realize that that's what was going on in my life.
0: Such a good answer. Such a good answer. And to your point, had you found a man who, you know, was in the man up spirit, they probably would have recognized that and been like, Hey, yep. Michelle, like you, you shouldn't have to come don't need
1: to, to do that. You right.
0: should, let me come to you. Like, that's not, you don't you, like, you deserve right. it regardless of what you do. Right. Um, yep. So I think that's such a good answer. I'm curious as we're coming towards the end, like let's, let's, let's talk about a little bit the, the male female, like what do you think it is about men that makes it, is, is there something genetic or, or how we're, I'm sure some societal and how we're raised as to why um, maybe that lack of self-awareness, that inability to, to maybe do it on our own for, for a lot of us, obviously there's some men out there that are amazing and great, I'm sure. But um, what do you think? It, have you found anything that are like themes or trends as to why you think men struggle with this maybe more so than women do, or just in a different way, maybe than women do?
1: Yeah. Um, so, you know, if we look at the patriarchy and we look at toxic masculinity, men don't have room for feelings. Feelings are not allowed. Um, men are taught to be strong physically. They're taught to be strong mentally. They're taught to be providers they're not taught to explore how they feel, how something makes them feel. And you see this in, in, there's a study uh, that was done. There's this book that I love that I tell everybody about. Um, so I'll mention it here too. It's called, um, oh, it's called how to improve your marriage without talking about it. Mm. <laughs> and uh, it, whether you're married or not it, relational rules um, is written by Dr. Patricia love. Um, and it is, it is so interesting. She references a study where she talks about how even at birth, newborn boys will not hold a gaze. So like newborn boys will not make eye contact. They're they're constantly looking and, and it's like they have this heightened awareness and boy, little baby boys, newborn boys will startle significantly easier than girls. And it's like this innate biological response that men have to be alert and to be the protector and to be aware of what's happening right in front of their face, right? Whereas girls, baby girls will hold a gaze. They'll look at their mom or their dad. They'll stare. They'll coo. You know, and boys are like (laughs) constantly (laughs) looking around, right? So I think that just uh, biologically men are at a disadvantage um, for being kind of uh, tuned in to how they feel, um, outside of immediate threats. But then I also think that they're conditioned to believe that they are not, their feelings aren't valid and that that they shouldn't have them. And that there's no time for that. Go, go, go play basketball. You don't have time to worry about like your girlfriend breaking your heart. Like just go play the game, Mm -hmm. go play the game. Just, you know, succeed you know pressure like it's just a lot of pressure and i think like i said earlier men are just really underserved in this in this arena i mean in this like self-help arena we um you know 85 percent of self-help book readers are women
0: is that true and that makes sense actually but i hadn't thought about that yet. yeah
1: but <laughs> and why is that it's because women are told that we're the problem Right. and we want to do everything we can to fix it. Yeah. So we're reading the books and we're doing the work and we're learning about ourselves but it doesn't do anything when our counterparts aren't also doing the same. Yeah.
0: Well it's it's almost mathematical in it that you're you're so right like women are told they are the problem. Men believe they're never the problem. It's something right. else. Like, I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to think about it. And it's actually in the middle for everybody. Like everybody right. should look at it objectively and yep. say, as you as, as beautifully as you articulated that story before, what part am I playing in this? What part is other people playing in this? And let's get to the truth of what it is. But right. as you said, it women maybe sometimes are more inclined to believe it's me that's the problem. Men are more inclined to believe like eh, I'm fine. I don't need to look into any of that and worry about any of it. Right. So, sense? Right.
1: And 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 it's and and I want to be clear because I don't want to feel like. The last thing on earth that I am is a man hater, right? Mm-hmm. I, I love men. Most of my friends are men. I grew up with brothers. I, like I said, worked with men my entire mm-hmm. life. I love men. Um, but we, I, I work with men specifically because they need it mm-hmm. and they don't know they need it. And so my goal is to like teach men like, hey, it's okay. Like, let's talk about some stuff. Let's get to the bottom of this. You're not a problem the way you are to anyone but yourself. Like you need to learn who you are. And this is why I say, you know, my, my uh, kind of my, my, my phrase is I build high value men who get what they want. And the reason that I say that is because I believe if you know yourself well enough and you know exactly what you want, you can have it, Mm -hmm. but you have to become aware and I think that awareness is just lacking. Second to that, though, for very selfish reasons, I do this work to prevent women from being hurt like I was. So at the same time, while I only work with men, typically, um, I'm doing this for all You're of us. i serving women
0: too, yeah, yeah.
1: I'm serving women on the back end. Like they yeah. don't know it, but I'm making better men for them.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know? How have you found, maybe last question, is it, a, is it a, is it an advantage or a disadvantage being a woman doing that? Cause I could see a disadvantage. You touched on it before where some men be, be like, what are you going to teach me about being a man? Like, how dare you even think you could do that? But if there's an advantage in it and that you have that perspective, the different yep. perspective to be able to look at it and see things that obviously a man can't see. How do you, mm-hmm. I, I assume you find it more advantageous, but is there some struggles in that too?
1: Oh, absolutely. Because men are, are, no one wants to listen to me. What do I know? Right. What do I know about being a man? hmm That's the question I get most often. And it's almost weirdly
0: the answer is it's not what you know about being a man in the traditional sense. It's almost the fact that you don't know that, that you can help them understand what it is to be a person really trying to teach them to be.
1: Right. Exactly. It's like, I'm not trying to teach you. Like I, like I said, man up has a different connotation than one would think. Right. Um, you know, my, my friend, Tim once told me you have the secret sauce. So he said, you have the secret sauce here. You know what women want, what women need, what, um, what will help men to get what they want. Like you have the secret sauce here. So while I struggle, and it is, it is a struggle because like I said, the ones who need me the most are the ones who are triggered by me. So, so I invite anybody who is triggered by me to start a conversation with me. Because I think that if I can, if I can kind of break down that wall and that trigger response is toxic masculinity. Right. So like if let's call it what it is. I mean insecurity,
2: insecurity,
1: all of it. Mostly toxic masculinity. What does a woman know about me? But insecurity and now, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm mm-hmm. perfect, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, right? So there's different different faces um, for all of it. But anyway, uh, yeah, I definitely think that, um, that women, uh, you know, we, as a woman, I have the secret sauce. I've experienced men. I, I say in my book, in the, in the preface of my book, I've dated you, I've worked with you, I've lived with you, I've been your friend, I've been your confidant, mm-hmm. I've been your, your shoulder to cry on. I've been your coworker, your equal, whatever. I've been mm. it all to you. And I know how I can help you. Mm. So that's kind of kind of how I like to to preface it, I guess. Yeah.
0: It's awesome. I would add to that too. I think that self-awareness just to bring that point up again because it's such an important one. Everything you just said plus you understand what it means to be self-aware. And that's, to me, it's a huge part of that magic sauce too, because to be able to have that for yourself and then therefore be able to understand how you can help somebody else get to that is such an important piece of it. And I think it speaks to just the important work that you're doing. Cause you're right. You man up, your focus is on men, which I think is awesome. As you said, it's serving everybody, but anytime you're trying to bring more self-awareness into the world and help people realize what their shit is, what their issues are, what their trauma is, Mm -hmm. it's always going to benefit all of us because most Mm -hmm. of the pain and suffering and shitty stuff that we do as humans is rooted in that. So I'm so glad we connected. Um, Super interesting conversation. It was cool to hear your full background too, to kind of piece it all together so people can understand the full story of it um, and also see your self-awareness in action and how it plays out and just the insights you have. So Michelle, I appreciate you a ton for being on the work you're doing. Such a good conversation.
1: Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to have met you. And if there's anything I can do for you in the future, let me know. I appreciate and, that. And uh, yeah, I'll, if you, if you want to send me your um, address, I'll send you my book.
0: That'd be awesome. Yeah, I definitely do yeah. that. I definitely yes, do that. shoot
2: me an email and I'll send it over to you.
0: Cool. Cool. I'll do that. Awesome. Right. Thanks again, All Michelle.
2: Right. Thank you so much.